Hello, everybody. Uh, once again, this is the Nevin and Fred show that Nevin being Nevin Adams, Chief Content Officer of the American Retirement Association and Fred being Fred Reich. Yeah, Nevin. Hello. And hello, everybody out there. I, th- I think we're going to have some fun today, but I'll let Nevin introduce that part. <laughs> some fun. We're going to talk about like cybersecurity, getting your accounts hacked, Department of Labor audits, litigation. I mean, that might be fun for you, Fred, but I have a feeling some of the people listening in might have a different idea of what fun amounts to. Well, you know, Nevin, it's it's uh, one more interesting new topic for advisors to consult with plan sponsors on and for plan sponsors to consider with neither one getting any increase in pay as a result. So, <laughs> yeah. so. Is, is this one of those places where only the lawyers make out? Is that what we're saying? I'm afraid that could be the case. Oh, well, okay. Well, let's let's get into it. I mean, you know, cybersecurity, not a new issue. It's been with us, well, technically, I guess, at least as long as the internet. Um, but certainly we are these days increasingly, and if you think about it, um, when COVID set on and everybody, you know, zoomed out and went to work from home kind of thing, and even though a lot of people began migrating back, um, all of a sudden the workforce, if you will, was was out accessing information and doing their jobs and, and doing it in a different place at a different time in different ways. Um, and obviously that's kind of raised the specter, if you will, of uh, cybersecurity, certainly as it relates to people's uh, 401k accounts and, and such like that with, with good cause. Um, and of course, right about this time, there was a report from the government accountability office that sort of said, uh, labor department, you should give people, you should give plan sponsors some guidance. You should give them some idea of what they need to do um, as a fiduciary with regard to maintaining the security of these accounts. And uh, sure enough, <laughs> like within 30 days of that, uh, the Labor Department did, in fact, issue some guidance. Now, arguably, it's not guidance in the way we normally get such things from the Labor Department. It was more kind of a, a set of best practices, right? So, uh, and I know you love best practices, Fred. You're Mr. Best Practice. Uh, so I figure they they were saying, what would Fred Reich like to get? Yeah. And, um, and it was kind of interesting because uh, they gave out uh, best practices both for plan sponsors and for providers, the people actually working and, and keeping up with the data. And, and most intriguingly enough, uh, participants, which as I wrote about this past week, uh, is really you know kind of hit me personally because I got hacked, not my 401k account, but I got hacked by another account, and so it's it's made me reaware of the things that uh, that we ought to be taking care of and worrying about all the time. So Fred, let's talk a little bit about about that guidance, about those best practices. Um, what what's your big takeaways from that? What should we be thinking? About? Yeah, there, there, there's a lot to chew on there, Nevin. And, and um, you're right. People have been saying to the Department of Labor, we need some guidance. What are fiduciary responsibilities for cybersecurity? And, you know, as, as a practical matter, I think if you just interpret the law under the an administrative fiduciary, which we sometimes call a 316 fiduciary, it's more appropriately called a 321A3 fiduciary, uh, but it's the person with administrative fiduciary administrative responsibility for the plan, uh, I think reasonably always had the responsibility to take into account cybersecurity issues. And the, uh, but to nail that 
door shut, the DOL said there is a fiduciary responsibility as a, as a planned fiduciary administrator uh, to consider cybersecurity issues in the selection and monitoring of service providers. So that's the, the, in terms of an official statement about from the DOL about whether or not there is responsibility. Yes, there is. Um, and then, but as you said, they they issued guidance. Two of the things they issued are called tips, and the third one's called the best practice. Uh, just in the order of hierarchy of government guidance, there's regulations at the highest level, and then you get what's called sub-regulatory guidance, which is uh, like an advisory opinion or a revenue ruling from the IRS or you know, an advisory opinion from the DOL. And then there's sort of sub, 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 which you might call basement guidance. And we've got some basement guidance here. Uh, in other words, it's an indication of the DOL's opinion. It's a suggestion about what should be done or, or could be done as a best practice. So it's very low priority in this sense of its uh, authoritativeness and it's, and, and it's being binding on people. Having said that, it's also scary. Why? Well, because these issues, are, I, I, you could bet money that these exact same questions are going to come up as a part of in, in DOL investigations of plan sponsors and service providers. So is, there, is it low-level guidance, best practices, soft and comfy? Yeah, but it's also scary because some of these questions are going to have to be answered by plan sponsors. And you can bet the plaintiff's attorneys are going to be using this then. And their argument would be basically, well, gee, doesn't a fiduciary have to do best practices? Can a fiduciary really do mediocre practices, which arguably is a level below best practices? Uh, so anyway, you can see that coming down the track. So anybody who's not paying attention, I think, is is at risk. And uh, I, I gave, put on a program a couple months ago for plan sponsors. And at the end, one of the advisors that was sponsoring the program said to me, well, Fred, of everything you talked about today, what is the most critical one for plan sponsors to be paying attention to right now? And the question caught me off guard a little bit, uh, but I thought about it and said, cybersecurity is number one. It's the new one on the block. It's probably the one that plan sponsors have the fewest procedures and practices in place for. It's the one to pay attention to now. Uh, but before we get into each of the three pieces, Nevin, what do you think? Do you agree or do you see some additional things? No, I, I think it is a big deal. Like I said, it's, it's a little close. <laughs> it's a little close to the heart right now because, you know, I was kind of like dealing with it. Um, and, you know, it's interesting because, you know, when I when I saw the, the release come from the Labor Department and, and it was described as guidance and I was like, wow, OK, cool. And then to your point, I read it. I was like, oh, well, this is this is just just best practices, which is helpful but not really kind of like the level of specificity. I think a lot of, a lot of us were, um, I don't know, sometimes it's, it's like you, you want to be careful what you wish for, but I, but I think a lot of people were, were hoping to get some, some more definitive structure, but then you open these best practices and, and it starts out and the labor department basically says, um, planned service providers, um, should quote, have a formal well-documented cybersecurity program, and noting that that should be uh, going on to say that they should be conducting prudent annual risk assessments. And, you know, that's pretty black and white plain in terms of people's expectations. Um, and people in this case, of course, being the Labor Department, the regulatory agency. But what it really kind of brings into to mind here is, OK, so I'm expected to have this, but I don't even know. I don't even know what this is. 
I mean, what does this mean? What's what's the level? What's the standard at which um, the program we may or may not have in place yet has to attain in order to meet the qualifications? I mean, I can handle formal um, and I can have it documented, but but what's going to be enough? And I think that's that's probably the question that's that's still out there for a lot of people. Yeah, I have a couple of reactions to that. One is uh, certainly for uh, smaller employers, those that don't have a big IT department and 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 because of their business may not be the particular business they're in, they may not be paying a lot of attention to cybersecurity. I don't know how they're even going to answer some of these questions. I mean, that, the question you read was for the record keeper, but I don't know, even if even if. They had the small plan sponsor had that information in front of them. I don't know what they would do with it uh, because I don't think they have the internal capacity to review it. I know when we get contracts from service providers to plans that have cybersecurity provisions in them, we run them by some of our IT attorneys. The ERISA attorneys don't even have the expertise to to review those provisions. But uh, so that's on one level. I worry that particularly the really small, you know, if it's a five hundred million or billion dollar plan. The company that, that sponsors that plan probably has internal expertise to, to deal with this. But for the little guy, it's going to have to be some outside consultant uh, if they're really going to take this to heart. And what I, I will tell you, right after these came out, Nevin, I was on another program and I, I predicted that plan sponsors would take this cybersecurity program best practices, the, the one for service providers, and would send it to their uh, uh, to their record keepers saying, answer all these questions for us. Or they would take these same questions and incorporate them into an RFP when they were doing, uh, uh, when they were doing searches for new record keepers. Yesterday, I was on a call with a number of uh, in-house attorneys at record keep, different record keepers, and a couple of them told me they were getting these questions now. Uh, and they're getting them in two ways. One, they're getting these exact questions from the DOL guidance. And the other is that there's a DOL investigation going on now on cybersecurity issues and they're getting those questions. But some of them ask like about the, you know, what have vulnerabilities have you identified to your systems? And the record keepers are saying, it'll be a cold day in July when we tell you what our weaknesses are because we don't wanna make that information public. We're working on fixing them. We're getting stronger all the time, but we're not gonna, lay a lot of this out publicly, which puts then the plan sponsor at a bit of a disadvantage because they can't get all the information that's in the tips on the best practices. Uh, so, but I do think some effort has to be made. The, 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 the worst thing from a fiduciary perspective would be for a plan sponsor to know all of this is out there or even to not know it's all out there now available to them and then to uh, do nothing. Uh, so what I'm recommending to advisors is that they take these three things, these three pieces of guidance that were issued by the Department of Labor, uh, make copies, take them to the next plan committee meeting and go through them with the plan committee members because most people in other businesses outside the, outside the um, retirement industry probably don't even know these exist. So a good advisor, I think, a good ERISA attorney meeting with plan committees would take these with them and go through them for the plan committee. And then they would talk about where do we go from here? So that's how I see, that's the next step from my perspective. Uh, I think you're exactly right. And, and certainly, you know, since these are sort of out there in the field and such, I mean, to, to not do that 
was seen to be not not being a, a prudent fiduciary, um, or you know whether you're if you're an advisor or not a fiduciary. I guess these days we're going to retirement plan, you're going to be a fiduciary, but but you just you you can't ignore it. I think the the follow-on question, and this gets a little bit to to some of what you're talking about, is you ask for answers to these questions, you get answers to the questions, but you don't know what, as I was saying before, you don't know what's good enough. You know, what's, what's the, what's the right answer? What's a good enough answer? What in fact are these standards? Seems to me like you're, you're sort of building the foundation for what might come on later to sort of help frame those issues up. But I think right now, to your point, um, it's important to know, A, that there are questions out there that the Labor Department thinks you ought to know the answers to, B, that you ought to get the answers to those questions um, as much as you can, as soon as you can, and then thirdly, begin that process trying to figure out what is the right answer and do we have enough and and what's the level of, of protection we feel like we need to have um, so that we're doing the the prudent job of looking out for the participant accounts and the beneficiaries' interests and things like that. Um, I think that's going to be a big lift. I agree. I, I, I mean, I think the right way to do it is to get, I mean, I, I think the test is, are you up to industry standards? I think, I think if you have information that your service providers are currently at industry standards, and hopefully they're evolving as industry standards evolve, then you're in a pretty good position. Now, but but if you don't have IT people available to you to tell you that, IT people who have familiarity with the financial services industry, because that's the industry standard we're talking about, uh, then it puts the plan committee, the plan sponsor in a bad spot. And what I would say to do there at the very least, and I'm not saying this, this uh, checks all the boxes by any means, but at the very least, have try to get these questions answered uh, have the issue on an agenda for a plan committee meeting, have a representative even virtually at that meeting uh, from the record keeper and have them walk you through the questions and uh, the answers and explain to you what they mean. Because it, at least then the plan committee could say, yes, we obtained a basic understanding and we had a level of comfort. The truth is most record keepers are doing a really good job on this. So that's, that's, sh- not the issue. The issue is, has the plan committee determined that they're doing a reasonably good job on it? And so that the poor man's solution, even though it's not fully a solution, would be to get take the questions to the record keeper, get the answers from the record keeper, and then have a virtual meeting with the record keeper to have them explain that to you and have the advisor there to help with the discussion. I, I don't know what more a small company could do than that, Mevin. I just don't. I'm with you there. You know, the other thing is, and you mentioned this earlier, um, there were reports out and they've been verified and by as recently today by you. Um, the Labor Department is out adding the, this focus, this concern about cybersecurity process and procedures to their audits that they're out in the field conducting right now. Um, so this is not a, a sort of a hypothetical exercise. That you and I are talking about, um, the Labor Department's taking this very seriously, obviously, and and they are out there and they are asking these presumably these same questions. Um, and so, obviously, if you've got the answers, you're going to be a lot better off than if you then decide you're going to go about 
and scramble and try and find the responses. What have you, uh, what have you seen, heard, um, well, in regard to that front, with regard to the audits? They are out there. Uh, there are ongoing deal investigations of planned fiduciaries and planned sponsors on cybersecurity issues. Uh, I, I've got some of the plans that we represent uh, have been picked up on that. They tend to be larger plans right now, which is good. It means mid-sized and smaller plans still have time to get their ducks in a row. Uh, but for example, I've got some of the questions in front of me, Nevin. There's one uh, where they're asking for a copy of the plan's written cybersecurity program uh, to protect plan assets and data from breaches. I, I don't know of any small or mid-sized plan that I work with that has a written cybersecurity program. I mean, that's just sort of like, that's the first question. That's like the first baby step they're taking as they get into the investigation. So I think that, you know, using, for example, the, uh, uh, the tips for hiring a service provider, which is one of the three documents, the soft guidance the DOL issued, that would be a starting point for uh, adopting a, certainly a process, if not a program uh, for, uh, uh, cybersecurity. Uh, another one is, uh, do you conduct periodic cybersecurity awareness training? If so, how often? I believe that applies. It's referring to participants. Uh, and I would think at the very least, one of the three pieces of guidance, soft guidance that the DOL issued was for participants. Gee, uh, uh, again, a poor man's solution would be to take that piece of guidance, send it out to every participant in your plan every year to say, hey guys, you're partially responsible for protecting your plan account from thievery. Uh, uh, there are other provisions about what's in the service provider contract. Every, every person who listens to this podcast uh, is somehow connected with a plan that has a written contract with a record keeper. Every one of those contracts has a cybersecurity provision. When I talk to plan committee members about that, they generally don't even know it's there. So I think they've got to pull that out. They've got to review that again to see if it's acceptable. And if they need to, they and if they if they've got the budget to run it by their, uh, you know, an attorney who can pra who practices in the cybersecurity area, then they ought to have that looked at professionally. But um, so looking at the contract, training the participants, uh, having a written cybersecurity program taking those questions and uh, the, the two, the tips for hiring a service provider and the best practices and getting answers to those. I think that while it wouldn't be perfect compliance with the DOL investigations, I think it would be a heck of a lot better than having nothing. So there you go. Agree. You know, and, and the other thing that sort of plays around this issue, and we've talked a lot here, I mean, you even talked about, you know, sharing out, and I completely agree the, the suggestions to participants because, you know, it doesn't hurt to have that out there as a reminder for, for people to, to sort of be aware of some basic common sense things that, that they can and should do just to make sure that their accounts are not are not getting hacked, if you will, um, because it's really easy to do that. You know, we you, you think about it, access to these accounts today, this is like Willie Sutton's thing about, you know, going robbing banks because that's where the money is. That's, I mean, these people have their life savings literally in these accounts. And so to the extent that somebody, and, and we were talking earlier, you know, not not down the street, not, you know, down the road, uh, not even in the next state, but somebody on the other side of the world, if they get into your account 
and they're able to, to tap into it because you didn't set up the, the password properly. You didn't keep it updated. You're not sort of, you know, staying up with it. And they could have the money wire transferred out, you know, almost instantaneously, even with some built-in time delays um, that there are for when you make things like account changes and things like that. But, but you know, speaking of that, there's been litigation and there have been instances where part of the litigation is exactly the situation we're talking about. And what's interesting is in, in some of these cases, they weren't even active participants. And, you know, there's a lot of concern about missing participants, people who've lost track with their account. They've moved on. They've left it behind. You know, it's just kind of sitting out there on a record keeping platform somewhere and people don't even know it's there. Um, but I wonder if we could talk a little bit about some of the litigation that's been out there and, and some of the lessons we might take from that. Um, although I don't believe any of them have been uh, fully adjudicated yet. Yeah, I think, um, you know, as you look at it from a, and I would call this cyber thievery because they actually go in and get a participant's account and take the money out. And so it's they're, they're stealing from a participant's account, but of course they have to be enabled to do that in some fashion. And it could be a participant mistake. It could be a plan sponsor mistake, or it could be a record keeper mistake. Uh, the participant mistake, of course, is not safeguarding their own information. I mean, that's right off the bat. Uh, it could be a plan sponsor mistake. Uh, for example, there's one case, and I was involved in another case as an expert witness, where that are both the same, essentially. The, uh, the information going from the employer to the record keeper was intercepted uh, by because it was sent over a non-secure, uh, you know, uh, internet communication uh, email. In uh, the case I was involved as an expert witness, for example, uh, it was sent over AOL, and it was shortly after AOL had been hacked. They'd gotten information about the plan sponsor, and they were intercepting the emails there. Um, but the one case that the reported case it was where. An employee was working remotely, as so many employees do nowadays, during, uh, have been during the pandemic, and was sending payroll and employee data over the lines and, and uh, plan withdrawal forms and you know, information about the plan um, over email that wasn't secure. And so lesson number one is make sure your email transmissions are secure. Uh, it was intercepted. Uh, it was a form for withdrawal. It was duplicated for more money, uh, and the thief was able to use that to make a withdrawal. And um, but but where it's what a couple of cases were where information about the participant login information was obtained one way or another. We don't know if it's because uh, uh, it was hacked via email, for example, via inter intercepting an email, or whether it was taken from the participant. But information about the participant was obtained. The, the, the thief logged in and then clicked on forgot my password. And then the password was sent back via email. But of course, the email had already been hacked. And so that was stopped and used by the thief, uh, who then used that to, the, to go with the login information, used the password, got in, changed the banking information for the participant to a different bank that had no relationship to the participant at all, and had the money wired to that new bank. Once the money was wired, within a matter of seconds, it was wired overseas, gone. Uh, now, 
in one case, but as you said earlier, Nevin, it's so, sometimes it's slowed down by the record keeper to allow a little bit of time. For example, in one case, the um, a participant has said, I think, contact me via text or email uh, if, if uh, you have any questions about my account. Unfortunately, the record keeper sent a letter by snail mail. By the time the letter got to the participants two days later saying, did you really do this? The money was already overseas. So one thing you need to, uh, that, that in asking record keepers what they do, dual authentication is really important uh, and that the system be followed. For example, that you get a text message immediately if there are any questions about your account. Uh, or I went in and made a change recently on my account. I got an email, a change of investments. I got an email uh, confirming that, saying if this wasn't you, notify us immediately. But that that's a, so first off, the dual verification via the text so you can actually commit, make the transaction. Then secondly, a confirmation by that. So really three steps, log in, do it, get the uh, dual authentication before you can do it, and then get the confirmation. But the systems have to be strong like that. And it really matters. And that multi-factor, um, I think that's the fancy word, multi-factor authentication, is really helpful. I remember when those systems initially rolled out, um, it was there was so much delay, like you'd want to do something, and then you'd wait for the confirmation to come through. And it used to annoy me, but it's gotten really good and quick, and the texts are coming back. And I, I feel better about that information coming to my phone than I do, let's say, necessarily to an email account particularly a personal email account. But um, but I think it's got to be a concern. Um, you know, employers, we see uh, reports of ransom attacks and uh, database hacks. There was something in the federal government back a couple of years ago. And the reality is if somebody gets a hold of your employee base information, they, they come armed to this online experience, usually with name, social, date of birth, address, um, they might very well have information like phone numbers and personal email accounts and things like that. And so I think it's going to be imperative uh, for employers to make sure they let their providers know when this kind of thing happens to their personnel records and things like that, because I think that that creates the potential uh, trap door to let let some of this stuff in. And so I think, you know, we've talked a lot about the the need for the provider community and they're actually sitting on top of the data, and they're obviously a first line of defense. But plan sponsors, I think, too, need to need to remember that a hack of their personnel database might very well put their 401k accounts at risk as well. Um, something to keep a, an eye on. You know, the the other thing that uh, it's actually not in weirdly to me, it's not in the DOL guidance, even for the participant level, um, and it's it's a lesson that I picked up along the way. And it's something that um, when, when I was hacked recently, I had one of those, oh my God moments where it's like, I forgot to you know, do this. And, you know, with all of the, the changes that people have with their record keepers, you know, you go from your accounts here and it goes to a new account with a new provider somewhere. It's really easy to just sort of, you know, say, I don't, um, you know, I don't have time for this or whatever. But what people are always encouraged to do and really need to do is go out immediately and grab onto that account, log onto the account, make it your own, set up the passwords, set up the multi-factor authentication, make sure you've got the security questions in place and things like that. You just can't afford to let your account 
be sitting on a new platform that you've never logged on to and that you've never taken the time to to establish yourself. You really need to do that. Yeah, I, you know, it, 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 um, from my perspective, one of the th- most effective things that can be done uh, and with, with very little effort, actually, uh, is for plan fiduciaries to say, hey, we're going we're gonna to educate our employees and we're going to constantly beat the drum that they have to do things like you were just talking about, Nevin. Uh, that's a pretty low cost way to do it. And uh, constantly to me, perhaps quarterly, uh, you know, once a year, send out the, uh, the tips that the DOL created and published to all of your employees. Uh, once a quarter, remind them, you know, in between, do some kind of a communication on a regular basis. It, uh, uh, you know, even if it's the employee's fault, even if money gets stolen and it's the employee's fault, uh, and everybody agrees that it's the employee's fault. Uh, you know, it's just everybody standing in and around that problem could get sued. And, and, and so pointing a finger at somebody, maybe ultimately two or three years after a litigation, it, it, it'll end up that way. But, but the best way from the decades I've spent as a lawyer, the, the, the best way to approach issues is to say, I'm going to mitigate the risk. I'm not going to I'm not going to figure out a system where the other guy's wrong and I'm right. I'm going to mitigate the risk. I'm going to reduce it as much as I possibly can. And, and, and the easiest way to get maximum value is to push, is constantly remind your employees that they've got an obligation too. It's not just the record keepers and the plan sponsors. And then the other thing, work on secure systems. Make sure that any information that's transmitted is transmitted over a secure system in a secure way. Um, you know, think about how accountants send you your tax return. Hopefully, when you get it, you can't just open it, that there's got to be a, a password to open it and that sort of thing. But anything that's just enhance the security, because some of these cases involve money that was, in hindsight, pretty darn easy to get out if you really, you know, if you're if you are a professional cyber thief. That's a great point. You know, the other thing that that I want to remind our listeners of and and that is that you know we've we've spent a couple of decades here through a couple of rough market cycles reminding participants that they don't need to check their account all the time. This is a long-term investment. You shouldn't be day trading, you shouldn't be panicking, you don't need to go out there all the time. And I think to some extent therefore we've kind of run the risk of lulling people into a sense of security about that that they don't need to go out there and and look and check and things like that. But I think with the environment we're in now, I, I think it's important that we begin to, to move that messaging a little bit to encourage people that they, they do need to go regularly and check in on their accounts, not so much to panic or worry about the investments or things like that. Although, you know what, it wouldn't hurt for people to do a retirement reality check while they're there, but, but they really do need to make sure that that account is secure that they know how to get into it, that it's current with regard to their address and contact information, their cell phones and things like that. Um, so maybe it's time that we tell people you don't have to check your account every day, but you might want to check in on a regular basis. What do you think? Yeah, I uh, I agree with that just generally, but, but even more specifically, uh, a number of record keepers offer like warranties or guarantees, cybersecurity guarantees, 
where they say, if your participants do the following and you get hacked, then, uh, or their account's stolen, then we, the record keeper, will absorb the cost of that. We'll indemnify you and hold you harmless. Uh, but, and everybody gets a good warm feeling when they first get that guarantee or first select a provider with that guarantee. But then everybody forgets about all those things, all the ifs that follow, if you do this, this, and this. And one of them is exactly what you're saying, Devin. If you check your account on a regular basis, it may be monthly. I, I, I don't, I've read a couple of them over the years. I don't recall how often, but, but, but the real point I'm trying to get to is that everybody probably, all of the employees and the plan sponsor and the committee members and the advisor have probably all forgotten what all those conditions were. And when I talk about reaching out quarterly to the participants, that would be a great thing to send out once or twice a year to them, reminding them that they're protected. They have a sort of an insurance policy if they do that. So please go do this, which is, and part of that is exactly what you're saying, Nevin. Go check your account, make sure everything looks okay. Uh, yeah, don't panic, but but be thoughtful about it. That's a great point. And I think a great place to close this week's podcast. So thanks again, everybody. Our, our listeners keep going up and up and up, and we love that. Um, if you've got something you'd like to uh, us to respond to, there's a place you go to nevinandfred.com. Um, send a comment to us there. We'll, we'll be glad to take it up. Um, hope everybody's having a great summer. Fred, great as always to have a conversation with you. Hey, thanks, Nevin, and thanks to all of y'all. 